Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from Ansheamit Synagogue in Chicago and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Truma, the importance of the giving heart. I had an odd experience on Shabbat morning. It's probably not odd, but it's noteworthy, at least for our purposes of this podcast. At the end of the service, um, and I look at the Bar Mitzvah, and uh, I invite him to come forward uh, for to kind of join us for the singing of, uh, I think, Adon Alam. And, uh, you know, he was a little reluctant, you know, kind of looked at me, I looked back. And when he came up, I said, well, we have volunteered, <laughs> you know, so-and-so, this is bar mitzvah. And, of course, everybody laughed, right? And have you ever been volunteered? You ever say, hey, you know, <laughs> I, like, you're sitting in your seat, and then all of a sudden, come on up, John. I'm, and, I'm doing this podcast right now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been volunteered. Okay, well. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. You, that, was, uh, that was a cheap shot. That was a cheap shot. I've... Um, I'm trying to hold the tears back now, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually the situation of our Torah reading uh, for this week, the Torah reading of uh, Truma. The Torah reading starts, it says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart so moves him. And, these are the gifts that you'll accept from them, gold, silver, copper, uh, blue, purple, and crimson yarn, fine linen, goat hair, uh, tanned ram skin, and it goes on and on and on. All of these things that God is asking for Moses to accept from the people are going to be used to build the tabernacle, which is the place of God's indwelling. Mishkan, the word for the tabernacle, is um, also the word that's used in for a neighborhood in Israel, a shkunah is a neighborhood, it's an indwelling place. So this is the place that God is really going to dwell. This is God's house. So this um, fundraising campaign or this goods raising campaign for the tabernacle, this has real meaning. But it does feel a little bit like you're being volunteered, you're being commanded, but I'm not going to accept it from you if it doesn't come from your heart. Does that sound odd to you? It does. And I wonder, um, what about the people who are not moved to give? Are, um, are they still welcome? Are they less esteemed in the eyes of God? Are they you know, in trouble? Are they going to have to work their way out of this um, being on the, uh, on the naughty list? You know, what, what happens next? Well, I, you know, it's interesting that the Torah doesn't say, and by the way, if you don't give. No, I, I think that the tabernacle is, I mean, this is God's indwelling place. This is where the sacrifices of Israel are going to take place. This is the focal point of the of Jewish religiosity in the biblical period. So it is the place for the Israelites to participate. So I don't know that there's a uh, penalty for any of this, but it is simply a command to give, but also to check yourself in the way you do give. So, so let me ask you, when you give charity, do you ever feel like, or give tzedakah, do you ever feel like you've been coerced? 
Well, it's a great question. Um, I don't. I feel like I'm giving because it's where I want to give and, and who I want to give. And often, you know, it's anonymous. So, But it does raise the question. And I, I remember hearing somebody say that their organization's donations went way up when they began printing the list of donors uh, because other people didn't want to be left off the list. Um, and that certainly is smart and logical and makes sense psychologically. But I wonder if that's... Um, the right spirit of, of Sadaka, you know, are you, are you making people feel guilty if they don't give? And is their heart in it if they're giving just because they want to make sure they're not left off the list? You know, in the old days, Yom Kippur was a night when synagogues would call cards, where rabbis would stand up and uh, right around Kol Nidre, the time when most people would be there, and they would literally call cards. And by the way, this happened at Anshamad. Rabbi Goldman would take out a stack of cards and say, hey, Mr. Bernstein, you gave X amount last year. Can we count on you for this? Mm. So imagine sitting in synagogue and, uh, you know, it's Yom Kippur and the rabbi calls out, hey, John and Jennifer, you gave X. How about, you know, what are you going to do for us this year? Is that giving with your heart? Is that giving with an open heart? Or is that simply being coerced? Yeah, it could be both, um, but yeah, it's hard to say, and it certainly hints of coercion. You're making sure that you're reducing chances that somebody's inclined to give, right? I think that's right. I think that it raises an, issue, an interesting issue, and talking about giving money is, is in some ways simpler, but what about giving your your loyalty and your faith to God? Um, is, do you have to show it? Are there times when you give your faith to God um, with some doubt, with some uncertainty, where you're not moved to, to do it, but you're doing it because you're hoping to be moved? or because you're overcoming your doubts, right? Is the case that you are performing a mitzvah not because it is you know, a way for you to engage in Jewish tradition or engage with God in this very positive, celebratory manner, but rather I don't want to get punished. If I eat this, God's going to punish me. Or I'm going to call Nidre because you got to go or something bad's going to happen to me. There's this kind of punishing God. That's a form of coercion, isn't it? I mean, that's part of it as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think about, you know, you mentioned the, the bar mitzvah, um, that when we send our kids to Hebrew school and we tell them that they, they need to go through the, the, the bar mitzvah, uh, they're not necessarily moved to do it. They're doing it because they're being compelled to do it because we think it's good for them and that in the long run, they will, they will feel moved. Um, but it's, it's a tricky balancing act. I think so. I think so. And I, I think it's especially, because this is the only time this ever appears, by the way. Right? It doesn't say, and if your heart moves you, uh, be kind to the stranger. It doesn't say that. Right. right? It's a command. But in this, and so I, I'm understanding this in a relational way. And in a, the book of Exodus, where so much attention at the beginning of the book during the course of the plagues was focused on the heart of Pharaoh, you know, the hardened heart of Pharaoh. It's interesting that when God wants, who is the leader of the Egyptians, that what God is asking of the Israelites is in the building of a place for my indwelling, that you would build it with an open heart. In other words, you would want this. This comes from you. And so I want to be in relationship with you. So this kind of odd thing where you're being commanded to do something, but only if you have a willing heart, that to me smacks of God wanting to be in relationship with us. And I think that applies to other aspects of our lives too. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, I think about marriage and I think about um, 
you know, going into a marriage with the sense that, and I think some people feel like when you get married, it becomes official. The relationship is cemented because it's formalized. But if you're not open to a real relationship and the work that it takes after that wedding date, then you're in for a big surprise, right? My mom and I used to debate this. My mom used to say that living together before marriage is a mistake because you think that suddenly on the day you get married, all your problems are going to go away and that the relationship is going to somehow get better. And I argue that no, living together is good practice. You start working on the relationship now. You start figuring out how to how to be a good couple that I'm not unrealistically expecting the, the wedding ceremony to sprinkle fairy dust all over us and we're suddenly going to be happier and get along better and that we're going to not get mad about the person who leaves laundry on the on the middle of the floor, right? Like, um, But um, I can see it both ways. I can see where... Th- Deep down, there might be some sense that just the act of getting married suddenly is going to cement the relationship. But if you think you don't have to do any work after that, you know, I think um, you're making a big mistake. I, I look at it a little differently. I Most of the couples that I marry, the vast majority, are living together already. And I often ask couples, do you think your relationship will be any different the day after you get married? Mm-hmm. Do you think there'll be any change whatsoever? Or the fact that you have a ring and... You've had this experience and all these presents that you've received in your wedding. Besides that, do you think there's anything that is going to be changing and it's part of your relationship? And oftentimes they say no. And I tell them to check back with me because I think that the the psychological effect of standing in front of all the, the people that you value most in the world and having someone promise their future to you publicly, that is to make a vow publicly, that that affects us. Because what you've done is you've created, you know, a real boundary in this relationship. Your words matter. Your deeds matter. And I think you were alluding to this, but I, I, or your mother was in a way, that the act of that vow is only, only effective if it's coming from your heart, right? If you're just saying it because that's what you have to say. And you kind of treat it as a magic formula. Well, we're married, aren't we? I said the vow. That's not what that's about at all. What it's about is it has to come from the heart to be effective. Now, we assume that at a wedding, but as we know, that's not always the case, right? Yeah, and I like what you're saying about the idea that that vow has more meaning when it's surrounded by your friends, your family, your parents and grandparents, and in many cases in the synagogue with the rabbi and under the eyes of God and, you know, in the tradition of our parents and grandparents, maybe that does lend it more authority and and a deeper sense of meaning. I, I think it does. I think it does. But here in the Torah itself, this idea of nidivat lev, of giving with an open heart, right, giving with a willing heart, I think that speaks to a relationship. And I, I would take it one step further that in relationships, our actions shouldn't be negotiation points. How do you compromise with somebody in life without feeling compromised? Right. That's part of the counseling sessions that I do um, as part of a premarital preparation for the wedding. You know, we talk about this gamesmanship of compromise where somebody will say, I'll give in here. And they're thinking, well, he or she doesn't know this, but I'm going to ask them, I've got something up my sleeve. I'll give in here. So I'm just sort of just plowing the ground so that they'll say yes later on. That's understandable. I think that that's very human. I don't think it's particularly helpful in a marriage. Compromise is, is really understanding the heart of the other person, right? So going back to your analogy about living together, right? 
you may think that the world's not going to end if there are dirty plates in the sink. But your partner in life might feel differently and say, I can't go to sleep at night without washing the dishes. Instead of trying to convince the other person of the effectiveness and the efficacy of washing dishes at night, rather, you might do it because it's important to the other person. In other words, you open your heart to understand that this is important to the other person. And so I think that this also applies in the religious sphere. You know, we're not automatons. When you come to synagogue, when we stand up for the Amida, what God is asking us is to open our hearts to that possibility, open our hearts to the engagement with God, not simply to say the words, but to open your heart. And so Nidivat Lev is part of this process of how do we approach the mitzvot? How do we approach our religious life? And I think that effect, ultimately, if we're willing to work on that and to open ourselves up and say, I'm going to be present here, I'm opening my heart to this possibility, I also think that the effect of that is it improves our relationship with other people. If I'm willing to do that with my relationship with God, how much more so should I do it with Jonathan Igg? Yeah, I like that a lot. And, and something I never thought of before, but you're, you know, it occurs to me that what you're saying is that you know, God is welcoming us to this relationship. And, and God is saying, um, even if you're not moved yet, and God is recognizing that not everybody is, is ready, but that God is there and, and that um, when the time comes, and you're moved, then the relationship is available, right? Um, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I think I think that this notion of bring me gifts, right, from every person whose heart so moves him, I think that that's an idea that we should apply. You know, when I do, am I doing this because I'm responsible to do it? I'm doing because I want to do it because it's important that I'm building a relationship and the manner in which I do it also matters, right? Am I open to this moment? Do I appreciate why I'm doing this? And that applies to tzedakah as well. It's not just a tax write-off. It's not simply, you know, me being a good guy and patting myself on the back. It's also my responsibility that I do willingly, right, with that open heart. So, Jonathan, thank you for allowing me to volunteer you for this podcast. And um, I hope that the day will come when you do it with an open heart. I think I, I feel that way already, and I really value the relationship that this podcast and that our you know friendship has brought, and um, that is uh, something that I uh, did not need to be volunteered into. Okay. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.